0: Welcome to the Fringe Legal Podcast, where we explore innovation in action. Each episode is a conversation with trailblazers, sharing ideas, insights, and stories from the journey. Join us as you put theory into practice and shed light on the world of innovation like never before. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast, delighted to have Steven Tesco on the show today. He's the co founder and CEO of a startup called Aura, Aura AI. We'll discuss a lot more around what they do, their, their long term vision, and really the problem they're trying to solve, which is quite interesting, at least to me. So hopefully, many of you will find it interesting as well. Steven, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah.
0: Awesome. So I guess get let's get started just by introducing yourself. Tell me a little bit about who you are and what your startup does, and we'll go from there. Thanks. Absolutely. So I'm one of the co-founders of Ayora. My
1: my background is, I suppose, the non-technical half. So I spent around a decade in corporate finance and strategy prior to running Ayora. Um, throughout my career, I ended up specializing in advising and investing in professional services companies, which provided ultimately quite a lot of inspiration for launching the business. Incidentally, I also studied law at university and did a couple of internships in my early days, which again, provided me with additional context to to the legal industry. And maybe to give you a tiny bit of background on the rest of the team, my other co-founder is a scientific technologist. He comes from a software engineering and medical background. He combines technology development decision science, and well, his past life, medicine. And then finally, our kind of third, third member of the founding team is a quantum physicist who decided to move to the dark side and become a software
0: engineer as well. When I was researching the company, I think that's definitely something that stood out and the very interesting founding team, both in terms of your past and maybe for another day, how you all met and got together. Because it's three seemingly random people on the face of it that I don't think I I would peg as, oh, wow. Yeah. They must definitely hang out all the time.
1: (laughs) Yes, there is definitely a story behind it. And um, as it turns out, uh, we share
0: interests that go
1: across and beyond our professional coins.
0: Yeah. It almost sounds like the beginning of a joke. A quantum physicist, a doctor and a investment banker meet in a bar that's a little bit like that yeah <laughs> there's something to this <laughs> yeah. yeah absolutely okay and then yeah tell me a bit more about Ayora. and i know we'll probably dig into it a lot more as we continue our conversation but at a high level what do you do and and why do you exist as the existential question
1: wow yeah no that's uh, that's a great question we we want to help lockers improve the way that they manage their revenues and specifically we're on a mission to help fairness themselves, so attorneys, lawyers, to get better at revenue management. The legal industry is very interesting from that point of view, because by virtue of, kind of being the hierarchy of relationship holders and managers of matters in which attorneys work, they, they have a really big impact on the ultimate outcomes for their firms. And yet we've seen this time and again, Fiance are perhaps not always best equipped to play that role, and we want to help them get there.
0: Yeah. And I saw in a lot of your marketing, this tagline, which certainly stuck with me, that Fian is moonlight as revenue managers. And actually for anyone else, I'll link it in the show notes. You have a actually pretty interesting primer on legal revenue management and playing the role of a CRO in my other life. Certainly revenue management is is not a unfamiliar concept, but legal revenue management, there are some nuances to it as one might expect. So and I think that Primer certainly does a good job in defining some of the key concepts. So I'll link to that. But yeah, talk to me about this, this moonlighting role for a fee as a revenue manager. What's, and this is also just for most people listening. When you start talking about finance and revenue, I suspect people are starting to lose interest or so don't. This does impact most people in a firm. But yeah, why is that important? Why should they care?
1: Yeah. Let me maybe tell you why they should care and then dive into in a little bit more detail as to what exactly we mean when we say that lawyers indeed more like us as well as managers. Like a classic kind of locker model is obviously predicated on fairness, advising clients. And as they develop, as they progress, fairness end up making a host of decisions, some of them can be smaller, some of them might be bigger, and they relate to everyday sort of things that, that can happen on a given matter, right? They don't say finance-related specifically, <laughs> things like Monitoring scope, things like monitoring estimates, budgets, resourcing on a matter, topics like outside client, outside council guidelines, all the way through to things like deciding when do we bill or how much. And hey, these questions that people keep posing themselves as they progress matters, they don't necessarily think about them as necessarily being, strictly speaking, revenue management decisions, but these things add up. And we've we've dug into this problem and we estimated it. Holistically, across the world, the big learn industry is probably missing out on something like $36 billion in additional value that kind of gets lost in the ETA, though, because some of these decisions that need to be made are not really made in the best way possible or not necessarily at the right time. And maybe just to contextualize this, $6 billion sounds like a really big number. Big law is a big industry. We estimate it's around $180 billion per annum globally. And if you were to look at it from a slightly more micro level, you know, if you think about a big firm, for every $100 million in revenues, the firm is probably missing out on something like $20 million in value. So hopefully that gives a little bit of context as to why this is important, why it's a big talk.
0: I guess just on that, so in terms of the kinds of things that impact this, and just so I understand it, what you're saying is, generally speaking, most fee are focusing on the relationship. They're focusing on delivering the value and delivering work to the client. But alongside that, they already have to do a lot of these micro tasks that come alongside the matter management piece, which is all the things around timekeeping, scoping, OCG guidelines, and so on. And actually working with the client to agree many of those things in real time, right? So are we still in scope? What's the web status like? And then actually negotiating the end the end invoice right and managing the write-offs and everything else so all of these things are what contribute to the 36 billion dollars in missed value
1: absolutely those are really critical things if you were to ask a kind of look from cfo type they would probably tell you that um the way to measure these outcomes is to look at statistics like realization like lockup so time it takes to convert advice into cash but also an important piece here is what people call utilization, which is essentially the proportion of time in the day that a, an attorney can devote to, to their core mission, which is advising clients. Because don't forget every minute that isn't spent on client advice is actually theoretically lost to the fair. And because a lot of these sort of matter management tasks that we just discussed take up time and they take up headspace away from people, that also leads to
0: the significant sort of loss in value. Yeah, I'm really interested in that sort of the cognitive effort reduction that you can get and how do you actually manage that because decision-making on any of these things, especially when you're doing this hundreds of times a day, can absolutely have a taxing impact. So before we do that, let's come back to to what you do and the product. So you're a startup, you've been around for a couple of years and you have one product and the focus of that product is it's this. It's called a smart lockup assistant.
1: Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So look, the name smart lockup assistant says what it is on a tin, right? It's It really is a piece of assistive technology. In a nutshell, the system scans the firm's data, which relates to the matters in which lawyers are working. And it uses that data to, to essentially form recommendations that it then delivers to the relevant company. So the system might be looking at basically what's happening across the life cycle of a matter. And whenever it spots an opportunity to basically make the outcomes better, it will say, hey, have you thought about doing this now? And in doing so, the system actually has a few ways in which it might make it easier for the attorney to basically take that next step if they agree with the recommendation. The underlying kind of idea behind it is that this is the revenue management aspect of matter management aspect of matter is like a second job that that VNs do or that attorneys do. And so we, we don't want to occupy them with that unless it's strictly necessary. And the Paris on which we work is that unless we like something, lawyers can hopefully focus on what they like their best, which is
0: serving their clients. And, um, and what kinds of things is it recommending? Is it macro things like now is a good time to send the invoice or you're about to go over the scope, the agreed scope, reach out to the client, or is it more micro items around do these tasks in this way?
1: Yeah, so it's actually the format we try to help. We have basically try to help keep track of all the kind of key milestones on a matter. I, in my past life, I worked with many great lawyers, and one thing that I kept noticing time and again is that inevitably, as especially complex projects evolve, keeping within things like scope, caps, estimates is actually quite laborious, right? Because it's just life; things change quite dynamically, and keeping track of all that is requires some effort. It definitely breaks your day if you're a fancy lawyer drafting an SPA or something like that, and we try to help with basically with that and look at it. we firmly believe that in this day and age, computers are pretty good at understanding data that underlies all these processes, analyzing it and making recommendations. We, we don't purport to have a system that knows at all. That's why we never do anything in the background without the attorney's consent. We don't want to get in the way of client relationships and other important considerations. But we do think that there's a huge amount of value that can be gleaned from all this rich information. Lawyers end up producing other matter, of course. And hey, documents are especially rich in information. If you think about timesheet creation, yeah. you think about all these sort of events that take place as part of a matter life cycle that actually end up generating or winning for information.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. How are you setting this up for each firm? Is there a model that you have developed that applies across the industry, let's say large law, or is it based on learnings for that specific client at the firm in that instance? Yeah, it's
1: a great question and something we grappled with as we're building the product. Frankly, still grapple. So the system is very much fine tuned to the big law firms. We have a baseline. Set of models that respond to commonly found processes within large firms, and that that works fine. The way that the the, the overall system is created is, is is very modular. So we recognize that even if at the baseline level all these processes probably take place within a firm, we recognize that every firm probably has a slightly different way of doing things, and so our system can be quite easily configured to suit existing processes of a given organization, mm-hmm. and then the system begins to ingest data from, usually from the firm's practice management time machine systems, and based on that specific data, it then enhances its analytical capabilities by really learning the way that a given firm operates and learning the way that attorneys prefer to work with their clients in that specific organization.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And for everyone else, I certainly do, I encourage you to check this out because as I was researching this, my... Mine immediately went to, okay, this sounds interesting, definitely a problem worth solving. And then I started getting probably visions slash nightmares of Excel spreadsheets or complicated financial systems. But most of everything that you're talking about as an output is presented via email, right? And at least from the the screenshots and such I've seen, looks like a pretty beautifully designed email where you can just click to take a decision. Thanks. Yeah, we definitely tried to
1: make this as easy for people to digest as possible. And it's funny, but even though I'm not a lawyer, my co-founder's not a lawyer, we both worked in industries which share better commonalities with law. We worked in fairly hierarchical teams, professional contexts, and especially when we were just starting off, and with I was a junior back and my my co-founder was a junior doctor, a lot of our jobs were basically all about supporting our superiors, helping them you know, identify the relevant information, digest it in a way that takes as little time to basically act on as possible and essentially be the eyes and ears on the ground. And those experiences very much guided the way we ended up going about designing this product. We sometimes say we are like the anti-dashboard in the sense that we don't want to display all this vast quantities Mm. of information, frankly, because most of it doesn't really have much relevance to a given problem at stake. So we let the computer work out what is the meaning of all this information. Can present in a way that people can very easily act on. Yeah,
0: and then I guess let's segue from that to decision making because that's the ultimate sort of point of this—to help people make decisions quickly with having the right information at the fingertips. And you, I think it's on your website as well as in the in in the primer. You talk about the importance of behavioral science and decision science and the cognitive load it takes for people to make a ton of decisions. And I think that's really key. And for anyone else who's familiar with Fringe you should check out a discussion I had with Dr. Heidi Gardner about smart collaboration, which certainly touches on this topic. And I think a lot of we've spoken about uh, Dr. Jamie Tevin's work from Microsoft on microtasking and macrotasking, which certainly talks a lot more around what is the cost of context switching which happens to all of us all the time probably happening to many of you right now as you're listening to this podcast so how do you think about that you're you're looking to analyze and provide something simple from probably a lot of different variables that go into it right even the things that we spoke about your considering the scope, you're considering the budget, you're considering the size of the team, the importance of the client, the matter, invoicing and billing frequencies and all of these other things that go into, should I email this client now? How do we actually make this transaction at the end not feel like a transaction and something that feels natural because we've delivered a ton of value? So how do you do that? Yeah, great question. In a very important topic and one that we're actually passionate about at Iora. One
1: interesting way that I've seen someone describe value that technology can bring to users is by looking at the theoretical value that the product can provide, and then multiplying that by some kind of usage ratio, are people actually using the product? Is that in a take-up? You can create a beautiful piece of technology that nobody uses it, basically brings no value. And so we ask ourselves a question, how do we create a product that adds value, especially in a context where it essentially serves someone's, and let's say, mm-hmm second most important mission of most important mission. In other words, I suspect that many attorneys don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I'm really excited about matter management today. <laughs> they probably are excited about the nitty gritty or the legal problems they have about to solve. And so in designing our product, we try to think ways in which we can help people make the right call without distracting them, without taking away too much of the time from what they actually really want to do in a given day. And there are a few ways that we, in which we do that. And I think they tend to focus on kind of two broad categories. One is help people make decisions in the fastest possible time with the least effort required to basically reach a conclusion. And the second aspect to this is showing people why these decisions are actually very important, even if they're not quite as exciting as some of the decisions that they might be making on a big case. So maybe I'll take those two sort of categories in turn. Our system is pretty clever in that. It doesn't just tell you about an opportunity to make something better or, or an opportunity to avert the risk. It actually makes it very easy for you to act on that recommendation. So for example, if we suggest that you may want to discuss scope with your client because we're detecting some scope creep, the system can actually pre-draft an email that you can then send to your client. This saves you probably 15, 20 minutes of, of formulating of correspondence. We don't send that email on your behalf. We just give you a draft. And you can do what you will with it. But hopefully that that means that you just it's no longer such a big ask to for you to action this. Um, in a similar matter, we provide you the this relevant piece of information mm-hmm. that you need to know and it's curated at your fingertips. So again, it's not we tell you why your whip is building up and to be thinking about it, we tell you exactly what we mean by that. So we will tell you you have ninety thousand dollars of web outstanding, which is aged over eighty-nine days. On average, on similar matters, we've seen that web doesn't age beyond 59 days at this level. This is why we think that you should do something about us. And here's what we think you should do, which is we will, on your behalf, we will liaise with your colleagues in business support, prepare the voice. And here, by the way, is, a, is an email to the client to warn them of this voice coming. Essentially, at every point, we try to make it as easy for you, as we humanely can, to take this. And then when it comes to contextualizing this and highlighting why these decisions are important, We, we do our best to show you what it actually means to you and to your firm to take the right call. We've seen this time and again, law firms, especially the big law firms are getting pretty sophisticated at how they manage themselves as organizations. And there's increasing focus on improving all those kind of key financial ratios like realization, utilization, lockup. However, if you're not the CFO and if you're not a financier, these things might sound a little bit arcane, and perhaps it's not always immediately obvious as to what exactly they mean for you and for your organization. So instead of just covering those high-level messages, we actually try to translate them into like tangible impacts. So we show you this is the value associated with this decision. Mm-hmm. This is what will happen to your team, for example, in terms of the statistics, if those decisions are taken or, or they're not, and we hope that by showing this information in in that context, it makes it easier for people to firstly appreciate the importance of them, but also to basically prioritize it in their mind, they have a much fuller picture when
0: interacting with us. Too many questions come from that, but I'll ask two. A lot of this is driven by AI machine learning. How do you balance that, so the suggestions that are being made with the, I guess, the human control, right? And some of that you already spoke about in terms of creating a draft rather than sending the email. But I guess, how do you build trust is the ultimate question for the user so they can feel confident that what's being suggested to them, is the right information and it's the appropriate information for them to look at. So they're not double guessing Am I missing something before I make a decision? Yeah, it's a great question. So firstly, we have a
1: few sort of red lines that we never cross. And this is really important to us. Our system is very much designed to be for the attorneys themselves. We would never do anything that has a direct impact on their matters or the client relationships without them knowing. Um, so in this sense, we're very much gated inside the firm. And we act as a little advisor sits next to the lawyer and tells them what they might want to do, but would never actually action anything on its own. I think secondly, we're quite transparent in the recommendations that we give. So we don't want to create a black box where people have to just trust us. If we tell you that you have accepted WIP building up, we'll tell you what exactly it is in terms of amount, what it is in terms of days, and why we think this is excessive compared to what. And the system is relatively clever at spotting this. We... We're able to isolate matters that are similar to each other based on a number of variables and triangulate of suggestions, which are as appropriate to a given context as we can get them to. So we, we believe that those two things combined give people like a baseline level of trust in the system. But the third and a very important thing that the system does is it benefits from like a feedback loop. So we record all the sort of interactions between the attorney and our system, we monitor how they re- respond to our recommendations and whether they follow them or not. And we use those learnings to inform future recommendations. So over time, the system basically begins to begins to get very personalized to each individual user who uses it. And this can take fairly basic forms. If you tell us that you disagree with a given recommendation, we should stop bothering you about the given matter, that, that will of course happen, but we will we'll also, over time, we'll get to know how you work, what are your sort of typical patterns when it comes to managing your client relationships, managing certain processes on matters, and the system will basically
0: adjust itself to, to follow your preferred way of working. Got it. Yeah, and I think that's really important because you spoke about it earlier, the adoption point right? you can have the best tools but if no one's using it, it doesn't really matter. And I think just having those kinds of helpful guidance makes a world of difference and just seeing, okay, I'm over or under because of this context and this context relevant to either that user or certainly the firm. Because a lot of the times it's very broad compared to the world or the industry and that may not apply to a specific practice. I think that's amazing. Okay. Just conscious of time. So before we start wrapping up, I had a couple of, couple more questions. My understanding, limited as it is. So Obviously you're getting your data from financial systems, your elites, your adherents, your SAP, you're shaking your head, so that's good. So why not just use those things? I'm assuming the data lives there. It's it's a relevant question and people,
1: people certainly ask that. And look, I think there are a couple of things. Firstly, adherent, elite, SAP, these are great practice management systems. They do what they are supposed to do very well. They are big systems of records that predominantly, let's say business support units within firms very much rely on, and we would never purport to replace those functionalities. They they are there, and we think they're best suited to fulfill that function. That said, those systems have not been designed to be the, let's say, their assistant to a VRNet themselves, to an authority. They are much more built around being big repositories of data that can crunch through massive quantities of information and produce MI reports for the CFO, for the managing partner, okay. but they haven't been built to be this kind of nimble, little assistant that is able to interpret all this information in a specific way that's very much geared towards the workflows on the ground that attorneys have. And I think that's the, that's probably the key distinction between them and us. We thrive on the data that they store, but we just play in a slightly different art of this organizational structure, if you like.
0: Got it. And then I guess related to this, or maybe an additive, so some firms, it's certainly a minority and a small percentage have pricing teams and some firms have large pricing teams who will be doing some of this kind of work. So is this essentially, as you think about the assistant, is this like having a virtual member of the pricing team available to you 24-7? Or is that a incorrect analogy from my plan uh, how I'm thinking about it. I think that's an interesting angle. You're
1: right there. You know, for some firms have pricing themes, other firms might have dedicated business finance partners, working directly with lawyers. I've even come across a couple of firms who employ decision support teams, which are actually trying to help lawyers with those sort of matter management decisions on the ground as well. And yeah, I think in a way we're synergistic in that respect, because we, we can provide additional bandwidth to those teams and we can We can provide a lot of context at scale on a relatively real-time basis without taking away a lot of other functions that those teams play, because it would be very reductive to say that all that a finance business partner does or all that pricing team does is what our system does as well. That's not the case. Um, And frankly, we think that, you know, again, there's a huge amount of value to be created by those teams. Especially if they don't have to spend all the time sort of tracking millions of data points, trying to speak to 20 attorneys at the same time, it's just not the best use of their time, as well as anybody else's. That's why we think that Proverbal Computer is best suited to this specific function. And hopefully we can free up those teams
0: to add more strategic value to the entire organization. Great. And then last question on this is, how is this impacted? by fixed fee work. So a lot of what we discuss, my view again, and I could be completely wrong, is I think the applications work that you're billing for hourly, this makes a lot of sense. I'm trying to figure out if these problems still exist, if you're working on a fixed fee or a capped basis or have some other alternative fee arrangement, is this still a problem that persists and exists? for those kinds of firms and those projects?
1: It's a good question. And I think that the short answer is yes. In some respects, some of these challenges that we're trying to resolve are actually amplified by arrangements like fixed fees or caps. At the end of the day, any fixed fee or any cap is based on a predefined scope and predefined sort of agreement of the client as to what is going to be done and when. And inevitably, a lot of matters will progress according to plan and there's no need to alter the fixed fee. There's no need to rediscuss the cap or anything like that. That said, in quite a few instances, you will find that as the matter evolves, some of those initial assumptions no longer hold true, and we can basically help identify those situations and help attorneys respond accordingly. And in some respects, a fixed fee is an additional incentive for lawyers to really pay attention to this, because to some extent, there's a hard cap as to how far they can take it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting, actually, and I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. So that does make sense because. And I guess it's probably a, a iterative cycle and over time you're getting better and better in assessing scope and you have a better understanding of how far and how often you go beyond that. So a couple of a couple of iterations and your fixed fee arrangements are, and probably you have data now to present to the client as well and saying, look, I know in the past that we've scoped this at X million dollars or whatever it might be. Looking at the past projects we've done together we were actually wrong, it's hopefully less or maybe more. And you increase your profit margins or manage it in some better way.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or indeed it might be that you take a different decision and you just call the client and say, Hey, we identified this other area that you may want to have due diligence, but it's up to you whether you want to do that. It. It's not will down tools on that particular work stream. I think at the end of the day, it's actually all about helping lawyers to get even better at being client and relationship managers, and we thrive if firms thrive, if firms only thrive, their clients thrive. So we think it's a virtuous circle that we're trying to promote here.
0: Yeah. And I actually saw the post, I think it was from you on LinkedIn, I want to say yesterday or the day before around pricing and you know, it had a bold statement, like we are not a SaaS company. It touched on, on this point in terms of pegging yourself to the value that you're providing to the client in, in, in a way. Absolutely. It's so probably an honor topic for another day but
1: (laughs) we certainly walk the walk as well as talking the talk and Mm -hmm. we have a slightly unusual and hopefully highly attractive way that we try to share value with Mm -hmm. our own clients
0: awesome i'll link to that post as well we're just starting wrapping up i'll link to your linkedin and where should people go if they want to find out and actually more importantly just so it's a good value of people's time who is your target market what size firm, and our focus is on law firms only. I think that's your focus right now. Yeah. To give people a bit more on that as well. So at least you're getting the right people reaching out.
1: Yeah. Thanks. I suppose we we feel we're best suited to serve what we call a blue law firm. And that actually is a fairly broad definition in some respects. For our American listeners, probably cover the entire AMLO 200 list. In the UK, that's top 200 law firms is definitely on our radar. And then in europe it's lists like eu top 100 definitely different so so if you're a mid sized to a large firm we feel we can add some serious value and if you want to find out more please go to ayora.ai. AI. says a-y-o-r-a dot a-i awesome
0: thank you so much it was a great conversation i look forward to keeping up to date with all of the the progress that you make i know you're just getting started on the journey so looking forward to hearing about all the developments that you make and possibly some decisions that that you tweak based on customer feedback. Thanks, Al. Really enjoyed it. Thanks again for having me on the podcast. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Fringe Legal Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Journey through the minds of Trailblazers, sharing ideas that inspire us all. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast Your feedback is what fuels the commitment towards providing quality content that sparks innovative thinking. Until next time, remember to stay curious, keep pushing boundaries, and turn those ideas into action.